It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. A fabulous free kick from Leighton Baines. Welcome everybody to episode 14 of the Men in Blue podcast. My name is Greg, I'm a Rochdale supporter and we've got quite a few guests on this episode. We've got our our usual cornerstone, Jimmy Driver. How are you Jimmy, you okay? Um, I am Greg, I'm just going to stop you right there though. This isn't a podcast, I think you'll find this is a business meeting and as such oh. I have brought with me some cheese and wine, as you can see here. <laughs> so, um, wine. just to make you, we are all socially distanced, correct? Yeah. Um, yes. And this is all above board as part of this business meeting. So, uh, cheers, gents. Cheers. I've got a glass of water. But I don't know about cheers, that. Mate. <laughs> this is uh, cheers, lads. beetroot juice. Water, watered down beetroot juice. It fucking stinks. Um, We've also got two Dale fans for this one. I don't think we've ever had this many Dale fans in our uh, in the time that we've been History. doing these uh, podcasts. Uh, we've got Mark, Mark Sweetmore. How are you, Mark? You okay? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Yeah, all good, apart from Dale not being that great at the moment, but we'll get to that eventually. We've also <laughs> got Dave. How are you, Dave? You okay? I'm good, mate, yeah. Good, mate. I've had um, some, some dark Dale days, so um, recent form isn't as bad as it has been in the past. That's exactly it. We've also got Ash. How are you doing, Ash? Okay, Everton fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm Super. Good. As good as you can be. That's the way forward. Yeah. That's the way forward. This particular episode, we're going to start off with uh, Rochdale. As Dave alluded to earlier, that we've had darker days. Dave, what what can you take from Saturday's results? Obviously, it's quite, you know, maybe four two isn't quite the true reflection of the game. I know we weren't quite at it, were we? But it didn't, on paper, it weren't a 4-2 game, in my opinion, but um, what's your take on the weekend's game? I think uh, the, the game at weekend kind of typified our form of light, um, and it's all, it's been a bit a bit more, kind of, a lot of huffing and a puffing, and then we just seem to capitulate um, late into games. We I think we did well to come back from 2-0 down. Um, obviously, B's got a couple of goals to hush some of his critics, but um, yeah, I think it had us, uh, it had a loss written all over it, didn't it? Really, as soon as we come back to two two, let's face it, every Dale fan knew what was going to what was going to pan out. I, I think Saturday is probably indicative of the season so far, probably for a slightly different reason, in that it feels like we're two minutes away from beating a team four or five nil, in the same way that we feel like we're two minutes away from being beaten, three or four nil, um, massively frustrating. And I think 
Robbie Stockdale said it after the, the first game of the season or second game of the season. We can't afford to score two away from home and not win. Um, we have to be tighter at the back whilst we're taking the chances that, that we're clearly creating. You look at the number of chances we're creating, we should be absolutely battering teams. It's probably higher stats than no fair football a few years ago under Hilly. Um, but we can't afford to be giving teams two, three goals against us early doors. It was one of those performances where obviously we were 2-0 down and then obviously we managed to... I think Andrews came on and he seemed to change the game a little bit. He just gave that bit bit of oomph about us and he came on and obviously we got two back. I'd have been happy with a draw. I'd have took two all and then just, just take the draw and get out of, the, get out of there. Do you know, with that type of Jackal and Hyde almost 90-odd minutes, weren't it, Dave? But is there any sort of... Is there any positives you can take from these type of results? I think, it, is it three we've lost now? Obviously, cup games, you can sort of isolate them, possibly. I think if... Well, our unbeaten run, if anything, I think papered over some of the cracks. Um, I think if you look... So we went, was it six games unbeaten? Um, but in actual fact, from those six games, we only picked up four points. Um, I think that that really tells the proper story. Um, a lot of fans were kind of blinkered in the fact that we'd been, although that we'd not been beaten, but in actual fact, I think the form wasn't great um, in the first place. Um, as Mark kind of alluded to, the fact that we're, we're making the chances, but equally, the back at the minute, uh, the defence is absolutely shocking. So I think we've, I think we've scored 16 goals, but let 15 in. Um, just... I think even that goal tally pretty much tells the story. We're, we're almost our own undoing at times. I think when you look at it, there's only, what, two sides outside outside the top six who've scored more than we have so far this season. But then you look at it, there's also only two teams in the league who've drawn more than we have this season. And I don't know if it's symptomatic of a young squad. I don't know if it's symptomatic of a bit of the atmosphere at Spotland sometimes, but we really feel like we're struggling to convert draws into what should be easy wins based on the flow of the game a lot of the time. And I'm not talking about Saturday because by all accounts from, from the people who went and fair play to them, we were battered in that first half and it was pretty dismal. Um, but I think if you look at the season as a whole to date, it's those games that we should be winning, that we're drawing, that are dragging us into difficulty at the minute. I think just to kind of back up your your stats on the goals scored, I think we're, we're also the fourth worst um, for goals against as well. So it <laughs> that again tells the story, um, almost our own undoing. Um, it, it's no point in kind of pointing fingers at the attack when the def- defence aren't even switched on half the time. Yeah, I just want to pick up on that. I mean, I've just got a quick glance over the table now and you've scored 27, conceded 30. So you're looking at it going, you've got so many goals in you. Like you say, only I think Leighton Orient and Harrogate, I'll have a top six, have scored more than you. But conversely, I think I saw Greg, you tagged me in something on Twitter the other day where Tramier have scored 10 less than you, but they're just at the playoffs. You know, it's it's that thing. If you look around and there's not many sides that conceded more, there's a few you know, right down the bottom, your old and your Stevenages, your Scunthorpes, and they've been pretty 
you know, terrible most of the season. Um, I, it's, I know it sounds like a simple thing, but it's, as I've said on this podcast many times, regarding Rochdale, tighten up the defence and you'll fly up the league. It's the case for anyone, but you, you're never going to have success conceding two, three, four goals a game, even if you score two, three, four goals a game. It's a, it's a it's a bit like last season we were conceding a lot and we had a lot of high scoring draws I think everybody will remember well the Dale fans will that uh, Charlton away was like a heart attack of 93 minutes and it was like 2 all 3 all 4 all and it was just you know it's all very well getting the goals but you, you do need to defend well and need to try and see out result at least but there were a lot of that last year there must have been five fairly high scoring draws last year which was obviously um, relegation form, you know, and then you get relegated because you're conceding so many, and you're not probably getting the three points. Um, it's something that Dave mentioned before about the unbeaten run. I think maybe I look, I, I think I'm looking too much into it. I was thinking, well, we've not lost, we've not lost, we've not lost. But also, when you, the, the, the other, the, the flip of the coin is we're not winning. Fair enough, you know, picking the draws up, but obviously, like we, we, we've got a. A group chat Dale fan thing on WhatsApp, and it's they were saying, yeah, but of all the things there, you know, if if that was a win, that's three draws and blah blah blah. You know, it's all very well drawing, but you need the wins. I know that's an obvious thing to say, but could can can we isolate the FA Cup game? Do you think is that something that you can put to one side and go Plymouth high division at the time, decent manager Ryan Lowe, who's obviously gone to Preston now. It's it's a strange one because I suppose if you look at that game in isolation, probably didn't play that bad. On paper, we probably should have lost by more than um, the the deficit that we did. Um, and the irony, I suppose, as being a Dell fan, is we probably turn our game on when we need to. Um, we don't really play unattractive football. Um, there's a lot of people that that berate. Stockdale for sticking with that formation but I think apart from us having a really poor defence it's quite attractive football that we play um, I suppose that's what makes it even more frustrating to watch at times I think frustrating is probably the key word with it we showed in that match the potential that we've got within the squad Stockdale showed with a substitution at half time that you can see when it's not going right and he's prepared to change things so I don't know whether it's an atmosphere, whether it's a mindset, whether it's a little bit of naivety and the squad still being a little bit green. Um, but that game showed what we can do. Conversely, going to Hartlepool on Wednesday, which was an absolutely grim drive. It was freezing. They ran out of pies half an hour before kickoff. It was just a little bit grim. And you sort of knew all the way through that it wasn't going to go our way. And it's that inconsistency that is going to be I think if we look back at the end of the season, inconsistency is going to be the word most of us would use to describe it. Um, I think when you look at what's happened with the takeover or the attempted takeover, the behind-the-scenes stuff and the stuff that's still coming out, realistically, I think we need to take that in the time that we had Stockdale pre-season, the time that he had to get a squad together. We're a month behind other teams fitness-wise and we've got, I think it's the third or fourth youngest squad in the league. Um, not much men's football or men's competitive football within that squad. That inconsistency is going to happen. And I think if people keep shouting Stockdale out at this point, there's no point as a club for us ever to take on a new young up-and-coming manager again. Because if we don't give them at least 
18 to 24 months, we could end up in this position again. I think I made a comment on Twitter that um, that Saturday's game was painful, but not as painful as watching all of the Stockdale out BS that was coming out on Facebook and, and Twitter. Um, you, you, you touched on a great point there, Mark. He has literally had, I think, was it four weeks at max to put a team together? And let's face it, as Dale fans, in the lead up to those four weeks, we thought we were all up shit street. Um, obviously, BBM had left us high and dry a little bit. We'd not made any signings at all by that point. Um, we look at where we were after the start of the season, and, and let, let's be honest with each other. Like we looked at some of the signings that we made, and I thought, I mean, he's he's almost worked miracles in the time that he's had in that short transfer window. Kept taking into consideration that a lot of talent had been snapped up in that window. Um, if you look at the players that we managed to get get out of the perceived dregs um, that we're knocking about at the time, I, I think he's done a pretty good pretty good job. Just to bring up a point about you mentioned the time of game and obviously the start of the season and the lack of preparation time Stockdale had. Do you think possibly then that the performance that came about at that unbeaten period and I know I honestly I thought you deserved to beat Plymouth the way you played. I didn't think Plymouth were any great shakes despite their, you know, quite lofty position in the league above. Do you think that the lads, especially being such young lads, were playing without pressure, especially in the Plymouth game? Because obviously no one expected anything of them. Likewise, at the start of the season, you're looking at recruitment going, not a lot of as has been alluded to with uh, Mark and, and and Dave, you know, a lot of not a lot of um competitive men's football. And you think some lads have gone right? Well, no one expects much. To, they don't, you know, no one expects to bounce back this season. Just play your game, enjoy the experience. But then they've almost become like a victim of their own not success. That's the wrong term, but of their own good form and the expectation amongst the fans. Gone here. We've started really well, but in the playoff positions at one point, beaten some good sides, and then that inevitability of you've started well. But then the, the real humdrum of the two games a week goes on, you know, in the Football League, and it's an absolute slog, as we all know. I think that's kind of caught up with some of the players, and obviously the pressure of, oh, you've done this much so far, then oh, why can't you carry that on, get us into the playoffs? Do you think that's maybe had an impact? I'm not saying that's the fans or such, but maybe just the general in their own heads. Do you think they thought, oh, well, if we keep on this form, we can carry on going and, and maybe make a push up there? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously not privy to the inner workings of the club in any way. I, I don't know from my from my perspective. I don't know if it's that it was a lack of pressure leading up to that Plymouth game. I think clearly Stockdale said that we were using the fact it's a TV game and a showcase to these young players to go and show what they can do, and that's absolutely the right thing they can do. I think when you look at the start of the season, we had a couple of players, so probably O'Keefe and Cashman were the main people I'd include in that who. We're getting nothing short of hero worshipped effectively on social media for the way they were playing, the impact they were having, the the feedback they were getting from fans. And I think that ran away with us a little bit. And it felt for a couple of games particularly that we had players trying to do the popular things for social media rather than the right simple things to gain a result. So I don't know if there's a little bit that I'd go back to the word naivety of go and showcase what you can do on TV, see where you get to, and that drives a better performance out of players. Um, 
I don't think anybody from within the club and any realistic fans would probably be expecting us to go and get promoted this year based on where we got to at the start of the season. Um, some of the stuff that's come out this week about the takeover makes it look even more miraculous that we are where we are now. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's a, a pressure to go and replicate the amazing games that we played. Um I do think it's more a symptom of a little bit of naivety within the squad. But I think Stockdale and, and the team around him will continue to work with the players to remove that. That comes with experience, ultimately. I, I suppose, um, sit between both of your comments, Jimmy touched on quite a good thing that I probably not noticed. And um, I sometimes take my blue tinted spectacles off when I'm sat at Spotland and, and kind of when the doubt kicks in a little bit and you start being a little bit negative about certain players if you look at those players who potentially are making the silly mistakes they are the younger guys they are probably the guys who don't have the men's football experience probably the guys who are a little bit carried away with the situation and, and probably when we are losing their heads are the first to go down um, so yeah, probably a good point well made, Jimmy. And and um, just to kind of back to your point, Mark, I think in those moments when you do start to get a little bit negative as a as a as a Dale supporter, um, looking at what we've achieved as a club over the last few months, I think is nothing short of miraculous. And and hey, we've still got a club left. And I think there's a little bit of onus on the team who worked tirelessly to save the club a little bit on the club to let people know just how close it came. Um, I saw a couple of comments on Twitter after the weekend of people saying, we're lucky to have a club, yeah, but that's gone now. It's not, like, it's really not. And the effects of people within the previous regime, where they got us to, um, who they nearly sold us to, the situation the club was left in, it isn't a case of we've done the share issue, fans own the club, we're safe. There's going to be ramifications of that for a couple of seasons while the club gets back onto a level footing, starts to get a consistent, developed squad through. So although it feels like we're out of danger a little bit with what's gone on, as a fan base, we can't afford to underestimate the impact it will have for the next season or two on the club. I think, obviously, Cluffy's legacy and and the Dale Trust have done some amazing work to try and push the chances of a hostile takeover further away. Um, but who knows what, what's around the corner in the future. That Obviously, there's a lot more work to be done um, bringing it back as a, as a 100% owned fan club. Um, but yeah, we, we still keep our fingers crossed and, and our breath held. There's something similar in terms of, obviously, Rochdale had, a, I'd say it was a decent start to the season. Obviously, Harrogate wasn't a great result and there may be one more. I think nearer to the beginning of the season, I think there was about seven games that we went unbeaten. That was like a the first one. And then I think we went seven games again where we didn't get anything. And it's like a little, it's almost as if it's like, um, I feel like this is a wave of another cycle from the beginning of the season in terms of, obviously the Harrogate wasn't great, but we had a decent run, obviously, when we beat Tranmere and what have you. And then we sort of climbed up a bit. Then we had a, seven games where we didn't win. And then we went seven games unbeaten, and then we've gone three unbeaten. 
I think there's patterns emerging that I've only just realised through this conversation, really. It's something that I'm actually going to ask Ash about this, because Everton had, and Jimmy, they had a decent start to the season. Can that be a false reading sometimes when you've, you obviously, begin of the season, we spoke about it a few podcasts, a few episodes ago, that it can be not to get carried away, but can you get strange cycles, do you think, Ash? Is there a bit where you think that's, that's Dale started okay, Everton started okay, unbeaten for so many games? Is it a false reading? Possibly. I think <clears throat> with Everton, we do, it feels like we do it a lot. And it might be a recency bias. But it felt like we did it last year under Ancelotti. We had a really good start to the season. And there was a lot of belief and James had signed and Ancelotti was in and, you know, there was the, the, the millions and millions of, of pounds being spent. We thought, I thought, great, there's belief around the place. And then after Christmas, it was it was, it was was shite. It was absolutely dire. It was as bad as anything under Allardyce. And it's the same team and the same manager within the same season. And then a really different feeling at the start of this season with Rafa coming in and an absolutely divided fan base and an absolute shit show of transfer policy. But still, as you say, he picked up a couple of good results. The players he'd brought in for nothing, Townsend and Gray especially, were among the better players. So it's natural to have that belief, but yeah, the last few games for Everton have been just last few months really, and they just fell off a cliff. But I don't, I mean, I don't know what Rochdale's situation is like in terms of squad depth. Our squad is must be the most expensively assembled thin squad in world football. We've got a starting eleven that's carried by about four good players, and at various points this season they've been injured. So. I don't think I've answered your question really, but yeah, a good start to the season can give you that false hope. But in Everton's case, I just I, I don't know where I don't know where we're going to turn the corner. And it didn't happen last year. We after Christmas, after beating Liverpool at Anfield, we were we were well within a, a shout for Europe. And then you know we bought them half the table at the end of the season. At least last year we got to Christmas before before it all went shit. This year, I just don't see where the upturn comes. Hopefully, for you guys, Roxdale do have that upturn and you turn things around, but I don't see where it comes for Everton. No, Everton are an absolute lure into themselves when it comes to form. They, just, they seem to find the way of, if anything can go wrong, and I suppose everyone thinks it's about their own club, but if there's ever a way for it to go wrong, Everton will find the way to make it go completely wrong. It seems, and it seems to have been for as long as I've been watching the club, we've never had a season where you've gone, maybe, okay, maybe the first one, the Martinez, where you've gone, you know what, that was a good season. There's always been a half of the season, at least, where we've been completely and utterly shite. Whether we, under Moyes, a lot would start badly. I remember under Moyes, it was around New Year's Eve, I think it was 2005. We were absolutely crap. We've been kicked out of Europe twice battered by everyone like 3 or 4 now every single game. Went up to Sunderland, who were absolute dogger at that time as well. Won 1-0 in the last minute with a KL header, of course, and that turned our season round. I remember 2008, Phil Neville, 
um, smashing Cristiano Ronaldo in a challenge. That, for some reason, turned our season round. We got to a cup final. All moments that you would not have seen coming. So, I do think, objectively, looking at the season that we've had so far, yeah, it's been absolutely crap. We have been in the table in worse positions later on in the season than we have right now. But there is an atmosphere around the club, and there has been since. And I will say, I I wasn't anti-Rafa when he was appointed. And, you know, I was kind of like, see how it goes. Which shouldn't be your attitude. You should be excited enough for your manager. Like when we got Ancelotti, I was buzzing to get Ancelotti, and it was like, oh, brilliant. It's a big name that can take us forward and can attract players. Rafa to, you know, he just done a relegation battle in China. I wasn't bothered about what he did Liverpool 10, 15 years ago. It was Rafa now I was asked about and it was like oh, we're getting hit with FFP we've spunked so much money up the wall so many other things going on and there is just a real disharmony around the team as the likes of Lucas Dina Richarlison are having well we don't know but we think are having fallen out with Rafa over the way he tries to play the system he tries to play the substitutions you know the other night Richarlison was not about coming off at Crystal Palace even though he may have been carrying injury and you just think, well, when you've got senior players and you've got your best players kicking off, not being played or invariably injured, it's it's hard to see where the bounce comes. And I remember when we had Femi on, I think it was Femi anyway, not long ago, big Liverpool fan said, oh, do you love Rafa now? Because we started really well. And I said, look, you know, there's a long way yet. This is Everton. This isn't Liverpool where it all goes plain sailing for the entire season. This is Everton. We do things badly. We managed to fuck it up. And it's gone worse than I thought it would go, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, I the recent form, Arsenal results aside, but then, let's face it, everyone beats Arsenal on their own ground this season, I think. It's Arsenal, lads. But it's so hard to see what comes next. Apart from an absolute spanking of Chelsea, really. Yeah, I, I thought the Arsenal game was the perfect game that we needed after Liverpool. Um, in, 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 it, it, was, it was the most winnable game, really. Arsenal, away up north on a cold, rainy Monday night. The fans were up for it. The players needed a response. If You almost feel if we'd have played anyone else that night, even Burnley or Southampton, they'd have come and sat 10 behind the ball and frustrated us. And after half an hour, the crowd would get on the back and it'd be a different result. So... Emotional, like last week, I, 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 I you're buzzing with the win. I was really buzzing with the win. You know, we were unlucky not to win three or four one. But then, if you take a step back and look objectively, like you say, it was Arsenal. Which it, it was always going to be like that. Um, after after the derby, I said to my mate, I don't feel like we've hit rock bottom because there's no objectively there's no disgrace getting battered by Liverpool because they're so good. What the anger was that night was where Everton are and have been for what's been coming and that was the pinnacle of, of frustration but on the pitch being beat 4-1 by Liverpool better teams than us this season will get beat 4-5-1 by Liverpool it's, it's Crystal Palace away when you're not even looking like you want to attack you know it's it's Chelsea it's, it, what, what are we going to do against the teams in the bottom half of the league um, where we might hit rock bottom um, and you're just waiting for those moments for the season's turn around. Well, I'll tell you what I'm waiting for. 
Um, the game away at Newcastle, I think, has been moved for a television game because we're on television every pissing week at the moment. God knows why. We're absolutely crap. But there must be some real bloody sadist at Sky Sports. Other TV companies are available, of course. We're not advertising. Um, and why are we on telly? But that Newcastle game's been moved. I thought, this is where it's going to get. It's Newcastle, lads. They're going to. Yeah, they're going to spend a bit in January, but they're absolutely atrocious at the moment. And you're thinking, oh no. You know, we've got some games where you think, oh, you know, we should be able to do well. I think we've got Newcastle at home at some point as well. And you just think, oh, that's the kind of game. I remember on the Watford game, and it was, as soon as they got to 2 2, it was like, you know what's going to happen. You know, Josh Hings going to score a hat trick. Nothing more certain. Didn't score a goal for us in the entire time at Evan. But. Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for that absolute spanking off a team that's right down there with us. And you think, nah, it's untenable. I mean, it's already getting pretty untenable. Palace, to, to be fair, a decent team. Vieira's gotten playing really well. But like you say, Ashton, not even go there and look like you're bothered about scoring a goal or winning. When your only goal scoring the game is Solomon Rondon, you've got issues. Um, serious issues. The thing about Everton is sometimes... It's so predictable, the narrative that's going to come out of a game. Josh King bagging a hattie at Goodison. Um, just the Arsenal game, you could predict Arsenal are going to be soft, Everton will be up for it. And then they'll flatter to deceive the week later away at what should be a winnable game. Play the opposite style of football, look defensive, look scared, look like they're not interested. It's just, you, we, we can see it coming as fans, because like you said, you're not going to hold you are, Jimmy. It's been that way my whole life watching Everton for 30 years. It's been either, you know, under Moyes, it's a spot on half a good year, start shy, end well, false hope for next season, start well, bit of false hope, and then it just falls shy. You, you, pattern, you just notice, you just know things, things are going to happen. It's, it's, it's so predictable sometimes. Why shouldn't the club do half season tickets? They try and get the half the season we're good for. So we're just talking about patterns there, aren't we? Patterns developing with Everton and Rochdale. Um, me, Mark, and Dave have just been looking at a few patterns on the. We've got our, obviously a lot of us are in a little group here on Facebook, but um, obviously Dave's found a few, Mark's found a few, but um, Mark, you were on about um, we've not won or lost more than three on the bounce. Um, also, something I've just noticed that we've conceded quite a lot of late goals. That's a separate pattern, obviously. If that's a different type of thing altogether, but um, obviously, when you look at the the weekend's game, was it Wednesday night we played Hartlepool, and then obviously Sunday was the Plymouth game. Obviously, that's quite a short three games in a short time frame. Um, is there anything we can take from that? In, that all three of them we sort of conceded in the last ten minutes, didn't we? Almost. Is there anything we can take from that? Do you think? I think we can take the fact that we've not lost more than three on the bounce so far this season. So, fingers crossed for Saturday. <laughs> That's one thing. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I think the mindset thing is, is a clear thing. And although that we are scoring goals late on, for those who follow Altdale comms, you will have seen it's Stockdale time from about 88 minutes onwards. Oh God, yeah. I think there is that definite mindset of um, we could concede late on. And we're doing that more than we're scoring late on at this point. And as an opposition manager, you know that if on 80, 85 minutes you're 
a goal behind or drawing level, throw everything at us and, and we're going to get shaky at the back. Um, I don't know if there's something there for Stockdale do to, to do to go more defensive towards the end of games. I, I'm not entirely sure what the fix is, but it definitely feels like a problem. Um, been a problem for a few years now, to be honest, but this season it feels exacerbated and I think if on 86 minutes the opposition get a corner against us, I think most L fans are fairly confident we're going to likely concede from it at this point. Um, and it's how do we fix that? Now, Stockdale as a defender by career clearly knows what we need to do, but it's just not getting through to the team at this point. One of the big frustrations I've got is every time the opposition get a corner, we put 11 men back in the box. If you left an Andrews, a Beasley, an Udu up front, instantly the opposition have to leave two people on them to protect themselves from that threat. And that's a sticking point that we've had since the first or second game of the season. I just don't understand the logic behind that. And I'm a big Stockdale fan. I like what he's done so far. I just don't understand that bit of his thinking at this point. Great point. Well made, Mark. I was just about to touch on exactly the same thing. The, 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 the beautiful irony is for a team that packs the box with 11 players, like you said, you could be sure as damn it if they get a corner, it's going in that net. Um, I, I just don't get it. It's, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Um, I think if you look at Stockdale's formations over the course of the season, there is that um, that almost I'm going to stick with it mentality. And I don't know whether that's because of the depth of squad or the depth of players or the style of players that we've got. Um, in our chat a minute ago, obviously we, we were just um, bringing up some stats around the, the, the depth in squad. Obviously we've got 28 players, which... I'm pretty sure is probably one of our um, largest squads we've had for a long time. Um, but looking at the players that he's playing, um, we seem to be pretty much reliant on the, the same or very similar 11 and pretty much that same five stroke three at the back. Um, he, he never seems to switch it up. Um, and I don't know, I suppose I'm arguing against myself because I do like the style of play. But that there is almost it, it looks like we're not setting up differently for dif- different teams. Um, we're just coming with that same mentality each game. I think one of the things for me, and I said it when I went on the dot com podcast a few weeks ago. That might be swearing on here. I'm not sure, but uh, when I went on their podcast, um, one of the things that Stockdale said in the fans forum was that we would be ugly to play against. We'd be horrible to play against. I don't think we're there yet. I think the opposition probably relish the chance to, to come up against us. You look at what the Hartlepool boss said um, in his post-match interview on Wednesday. They very, very quickly identified that diagonal balls into the corners and suffocating Kelly and Morley in the middle completely nullified our threat. It was bang on for a start and that's exactly what they did. Um, but that doesn't sit with the horrible to play against you look at our disciplinary record I think we're top of the like fair play league in in three of the top four leagues so far this season because we just stand off people and let them come at us 
And although I don't think League Two is a technically brilliant league from what I've seen so far, I think if we give players that couple of yards to find the space and put a pass through, that's where we're coming up against it. I think the problem is as well, to touch on your um, putting balls into the corners, if you look at who we've got in those corners, so whether it's Max Taylor or Dorset on either side, honestly, the, the, the amount of times that I've sat watching games and it's either gone under Dorset's foot or it's he's, he's kind of 50p'd it off and I sit there with my, heads in my head in my hands and obviously um, you look at... I'm just quickly trying to see how old he is. He's, he's certainly um, around the 19 age, um, but he should be a little bit more experienced to know when he can put his foot on a ball and, and when he can just play it down the line safely. Um, there's a lot of silly mistakes going on in our defence at the minute and you don't know whether that's age, experience or just the fact that they're not up to it. I think to play devil's advocate a little bit with, with him particularly, Dorset, um there was a lot of excitement on social media when we signed him. Um, I remember some of the gifts and stuff that were doing the rounds that were brilliant. Came in, had a tough start, I think, and some of the abuse that he got from some of the fans in in certain quarters was disgusting, to be honest. Listening to fans slating our own players to that degree, I'm not a fan of. I don't think it's constructive, especially at a ground as quiet as Spotland. Um, And he had that dip. But I would say in a lot of our recent games, he's been one of, if not our best player. Um, I think that little bit of confidence has done him the world of good. He's still prone to the odd error, absolutely. But he's definitely saved us more times than he's cost us in, I would say, the last six or seven games. I think his turnaround is testament to the coaching from Stockdale and the team in that he's now starting to show what he can do. And, And that kind of backs it up with the um, it, it is more of an experience yeah. or, or the need of experience and probably just um, having I suppose he's not in a great place at this minute because there isn't that experience to his to his right um, in, in a defensive lineup. Um, you, you would hope that obviously there, there is also a lot of um, there's, there's also a lot of poor um Experience stood in the middle, um, which obviously a lot of the, a lot of people are alluding to whether he wants to be here or not. Um, so yeah, it's you just need a bit of experience and an old head in that lineup. I think. I think that's what it is. Um, I saw something on the there's a Facebook group on, well, Facebook even, and it was to do with. Would you sell O'Connell in January or something along those lines? I, I can't remember it pre- precisely what it was. I don't know if it was. Do you think he should leave or something? And I was just thinking to myself, of all the players that we have, we'd be in the shit if he left. You know, he's probably at the top of. If we had a list of like, if you were to formulate a list of which player, if we left, you know, we would be in the shit. I think O'Connell's definitely up there. Would be difficult to replace. I would say. Um, obviously a few people half question him a little bit in terms of oh he looks a little bit disinterested and things like that I don't I don't think it is that I think it's very similar to what we've just been talking about like experienced players that he hasn't got around him or, or other Dale players have as well that don't have that but obviously last year we had McShane 
he was a good leader in in, in a different way. Obviously, he didn't he couldn't play every game, but I think I think he had some sort of not inspiration, but he had something about him where if he wasn't playing. I would like to think O'Connell or a few others would be listening to him at half-time or something like that, or even in a breaking play or something like that. But I don't think we have those at the moment. I don't think we've got a... I mean, obviously we've said it, it's going back a bit now, but we don't have the Gary Jones, we don't have the uh, Hendo, I don't, know, I don't know who we are lacking, really. But is there a type, is there a mould that we could, obviously, we could, we're dreaming here with Gary Jones coming back, but um, is there a mould where we think we, we could do with this type of player to come in in January? Is there anything that we think, it, it, you know, experienced midfielder, experienced defender, is there anything that we can do to try and develop the younger ones, I guess? I think, just to labour the, the O'Connell point, um, if you think about defensive pairings in the past, he's always had someone next to him, um, a bit of an experienced head next to him. Um, we've always had, when we've played that four-four-two line at the back, you've always had that nice kind of either two strong central defenders, whereas at this minute in time, in the almost defensive three back line that we're playing, he is pretty much on his own a lot of the time. He's got two inexperienced heads either side of him a lot of the time. Um, so it must get frustrating and it must obviously in essence, kind of come across in his body language that he is kind of holding the ship together a little bit. I think there's there's a couple of answers to a couple of questions there. I think we need to remember that from the outside looking in, it looks like O'Connell was... Um, I'm trying to not swear at this point. Left standing when BBM did what he did. Um, I think... O'Connell probably signed his contract on the basis that BBM was going to be there and then very quickly after that, clearly he wasn't. So there's there's got to be some sort of resentment there. He wouldn't be human if there wasn't, let's be honest. And then in terms of what we're missing in that midfield defensive role, I'll, I'll keep saying it's on blue in the face, I think O'Connell fits that midfield role. You look at when Berry got promoted, O'Connell was playing that centre defensive role where he could do the distribution and do the dirty work that he clearly thrives off. But when we're up against it, step back into that back line and support. So I think we're probably one good central defender away from fixing the defensive back three slash five that we're seeing at the minute and fixing that midfield role as well. I also think O'Connell could probably have more of an influence on the team around him in terms of instruction, direction and bollockings when it's needed being that extra few yards further up the pitch. I think that is where I'd like to see us go in January. Would you see that also being a switch in formation of that back line as well, Mark? Probably switching to, to more of a central two with the two wing backs. I think it'd give us more flexibility. So I think as long as we keep O'Connell and as long as we keep White fit, I think the three slash five works. Because I think there's a little bit of, when we're up against it, if O'Connell's playing that CDM role, when we're up against it, there's no reason why he couldn't step back to support the central, central defender of the three. And you almost get a four slash six at the back rather than three slash five. And that also supports the bit that we touched on earlier with when we're up against it at the end of games. It just gives us that little bit more solidity across the back to protect the keeper a little bit more. 
I think out of everything, it is very apparent that that is where we need to focus on in January, 100%. Certainly looks that way. So Rochdale are looking for a a turning point, so so to speak. And I think Everton are a little bit as well. They're looking for a turning point. Ash, is Chelsea, can that be a somewhat of a turning point or are Chelsea too strong looking at the top of the table there? In a word, no. But not to make um, not to make myself out to be a liar, Everton are capable occasionally of doing the most unexpected thing ever. But I can't see a win against Chelsea. Um, the news I've read today that Coleman's an injury doubt. Richarlison's out for a few weeks with this calf injury that saw him subbed on, on the weekend. We're already without Calvert-Lewin. We're already bare bones. Luka Dini's fell out with Rafa, so he's not going to be playing, probably. Um, he might have to out of necessity. Um, I just don't I don't know. They're, they're very structured, very de- very defensively solid, and we couldn't break down Palace, so I didn't look like wanting to break down Palace. So, I don't see it. Don't know if Jimmy sees it. Yeah, don't think. Don't think. Uh, oh, oh no! I think we're absolutely going to win about five now, Ash. Now, um, I'd, I'd, nah, nah. Uh, let me revise that. Let's put that wine down again that I had at the start of the podcast. Um, we haven't won at Stamford Bridge since I think 1994, and we've had some absolute spankings in the meantime. We've had a few five nils and a few. Okay, we've had some decent draws. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a happy hunting ground for us. It hasn't been for a long, long time. And of course, the unwritten Everton rule, unwritten football rule, but unwritten Everton rule particularly, is when former players come back to haunt you. And let's not forget that Romney Lukaku has been out injured. He's not been in great form lately. Alternate scoring a hat-trick on Thursday night? I would. I'd put a bet on yeah. the betting man. In fact, why not throw in a cheeky Barkley assist while we're there, just because he's done fuck all for Chelsea, so I mean... Why not? He played the game of his life against us. It's honestly, I think Chelsea at the start of the season were my tip to win the league. And they're the current champions of Europe, potentially future world champions given the World Cup Championship. We haven't even got a a starting 11 to put out that's even close to theirs. With all the injuries and fallouts and Solomon Rondons of the world, you know, it's going to be. It's gonna be a bit of a disaster. I would quite, uh, quite brutal. I think on Thursday night, to be perfectly honest with you, not looking forward to it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you just summed up really um, in two words what Everton's biggest problem, in my eyes, has been for the last eight years, and it's it's Romelu Lukaku because since we sold him, the money we've spent. And the strikers that have come into the club, the Rooney, Rondon, Jenk Toshin, you know. Doesn't mind the strikers, the number 10s we've signed. <laughs> For no reason. We've got Calvert-Lewin now, but we've seen this season, if he's, if he's, if he's injured, we're fucked and we're just not, we haven't recruited a striker not that we've recruited well anywhere else, but we haven't recruited a striker anywhere near twenty goals a season. I'm not. I know they like rocking our shit, but if you're spending that kind of money that we're spending, you need to make it a priority. I think. 
So a question from me then, as a complete neutral to anything related to Everton, to be honest. You touched on it earlier, Jimmy, in terms of Rafa looked like the sort of big name that could come in and take you on to new things. A couple of bosses you've had, so Rafa, Ancelotti, big names who you think on paper are, like, say, going to take you on to, to bigger and better things. Do Everton need to be looking at bosses like that? Or do Everton need to be looking at the likes of... Going to say Sean Dyche, um, maybe someone like that, an up and coming English manager who's going to. Does it need to be an acceptance from Everton fans of where you are at the minute? Get someone in to come and make you difficult to beat and a consolidated, consistent mid table Premier League team before you start looking at managers who are going to come and do the Rafa or the Ancelotti work from that foundation. Do you mean another David Moyes? That's. That we haven't haven't replicated that, and I think I think since he's left, we've tried all those different routes. Mark, I think we've tried the young, uh, exotic, you know, uh, type of foreign manager with a, with a philosophy and an identity who wants to play a certain way, wants to play the Barcelona way. You know, when Martinez in his first season was touted as a potential future Barcelona manager, it's quite ironic that it was Coleman who went to be the uh, went to Barcelona. Uh, we've tried that. That didn't quite work. We tried it again with Silva. Um, didn't work at all. Um, we've gone for the gnarly old veteran in Allardyce who's going to make us horrible to beat and save us from relegation, which wasn't really a real threat. And then we've gone for, let's get the big name in, let's get Ancelotti in, the, the blockbuster appointment. I honestly feel, and I don't want to offend anyone because it is Rafa Benitez and he's ex-Liverpool and I know I understand that feeling I feel Rafa Benitez would have been the right appointment at the start of the Mishiri era or someone like that in terms of you've got enough experience to and and, and enough of a name to attract good quality players because you know you've won trophies but he, he, he does like a project he does you know, or he at least would be willing to oversee a project, which is what Everton basically is, or could be someone's project in terms of new stadium on the horizon, there's this money, what can you do with it? He's coming now with a list of five, six managers before him and a squad assembled by all those different managers, and then he's got no money to spend. I, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know. I don't know any manager in the world who'd want the job right now, or who could do. I don't want to say no one could do a better job. I'm sure someone could get a tune out of some of the players, but for the last two seasons, the players we've got haven't performed for either of the manager, and they probably didn't. You, you could argue they didn't for any of the managers. You know, it's with, whether it's the same squad or not. It, whatever way they've gone in terms of type of manager, type of recruitment, nothing has worked. And I, don't, I think perhaps there's not been alignment, but it's just not worked. I think that's absolutely spot on. And I was going to say when you posed the question mark about which manager I'd want, I'd say, well, the problem for me starts with the board and those higher up. I include Mashiri, I include Ken Wright, I include Baxendale. I did include Marcel Browns until he was um, relieved of his duties last week. Uh, although I can't be honest, I don't know what he did because the recruitment's been so scattergun over the last 
four, five, six years, and that include when we got Steve Walsh from Leicester, the man who uncovered Vardy and Mares and Kante at Leicester. Stroke a look that was for him. He's gonna be down on that one forever, um, because he both was Davy Bloody Classen. But it's it's one of those where I think it comes from the top. There's been awful, awful recruitment throughout the club, and there's attitudes in that dressing room. I'm sure it's evident now that players haven't played for various managers. But you can't sack an entire squad of players, unfortunately. We'd have done that if we could, because we sack everybody else. You can't necessarily sack the board, because we'd have done that, because we've literally, you know, the only person you can change, really, is the middleman, the manager. And I do feel, to an extent, sorry for Rafa, because he's been dealt a bit of a shit hand with the finances. And like you say, you've got players there going back from the Moyes era with Seamus Coleman. Although, again, recruitment, why Seamus Coleman's still playing regular fullback? We haven't got any other right-backs don't say John Joe Kenny. He's not good enough. Um, why is he still there? Because we should have replaced him, but we haven't. And it's all down to just piss-poor recruitment from the very top down. And it's going to take many, many years for it to, um, to sort itself out, if indeed it does. Going to a manager that I'd like, I mean, uh, it's hard to say because someone was saying about how Graham Potter would be a decent appointment. Now... He would. I don't doubt he would. I mean, he's a bit of an XG merchant. But let's face it, I'd rather have XG than no G, um, which we seem to have at the moment. Problem is, they got booed at home to Leeds the other week, Brighton. And Potter couldn't cope with that. It seemed he addressed it in his post-match press conference. Sorry, mate. If you can't cope with a couple of Brighton fans, then when the Goodison crowd got on you, he's going to be, like, depressed because... Evertonians are bloody horrible when things go wrong. We're really horrible. So I like him as a manager, but is he the right fit for Everton? Well, is anyone at the moment who knows? But maybe in the future, if we do stable the ship, but a lot remains to be seen there. Okay, so we're trying to split between talking about Rochdale and Everton. So it seems to be, I'm just trying to make sure everyone's getting a equal. Um, conversation and everybody's getting involved so obviously we're just trying to come up with what we can talk about next um there's something that i sort of picked up on um with the dale squad and it's only just come to light maybe today i've just thought of it but we don't really have a lot of um yts players in the squad that are featured fairly regularly um that's something we had under bbm isn't it so we had a few players that were playing a lot obviously you could say two years ago, obviously Matheson, things like that. Um, is there anything in that, Mark? That where we aren't? Is there anything where obviously Stockdale's not really included them that much? Like, say, Ethan Briley's one, isn't there? There's a few more. Is there anything in that? Do you think? I, I think there were a lot of rumours going around pre-season that the the YTS lads had been let go under the BBM regime, whether people agreed with it or not. Um, lots of rumour and speculation, as you would expect, coupled with what went on with the BBM contract extension and, and various other people within senior levels at the club. So what was their motive for, for that being the case? I think looking objectively at it, you've got to trust the people who run the academy, so your likes of Tony Ellis, um, to make the right recommendations to the management team and then for the management team to take that on board. And although there were lots of rumours over the summer of YTS players quickly being snapped up by other clubs to go and start playing for them, I'm not actually aware of any that did. 
So I think there were there, there were a few rumours for a few of them, um, but I'm not aware of any where they've gone to a club and made an impact on the first team or or even reserve teams as we used to know them. So I'd like to think it's very much a case of the crop from last year just wasn't to the level that we need them to be. I think you look at the recruitment Stockdale did in summer, he's not afraid to give youth a chance. Um, And I think if we had the opportunity to use our own, he probably would. He talks a lot about if you're good enough, the shirt's yours. And if you keep being good enough, it's yours to lose. So I think if we have the talent coming through that academy, I've got full faith, to be honest, that Stockdale will invite them into the squad, utilise them. And if they're good enough, that they'll stay good enough. We're not in a position financially where we can offer loads of YTS lads first team contracts on the off chance that they might make it. Unfortunately, we have to have a degree of confidence. I think that they will be good enough. Otherwise, unfortunately, it might be a case of go and get experience elsewhere and come back when you're ready. I think I think you're right there, Mark, as well. I think if you look at the amount of first team players that we've had, um, or that he's given minutes to, he seems to stick very close to that trusted squad. Um, even the likes of Cashman seems to have dropped out of favour at the minute, whereas he had what seemed like a decent start to the season. Um, do you think it is the more and more we get on in the season, the more and more he has a bit of a fear about rotation um, and probably the trust in I'm just having a quick look now. We've got four 18-year-olds in the squad that, that he's not given a minute to um, this season. I, I, I think there's probably a little bit of a responsibility from him and I'm very conscious that I don't want to slate Rochdale fans because we're probably <laughs> the most, some of the most patient and most understanding in the EFL. Um, but you look at... For example, when Sam Graham got injured a few matches ago and he went off injured, some of the abuse that he got. As a first-team manager, giving YTS or Academy lads the first chance in football, if the crowd are going to react the way that they did to someone who's had a bad run of games, wasn't playing brilliantly, whatever, but if if that player is going to be subject to circus chants and booing and general abuse... If we've got a 17-year-old on the verge of breaking into the first team, is it the right thing to do to put them into that situation until we have full faith that they're not going to have a bad game? So I don't think he's risk-averse in terms of rotating the squad. I think there's probably subconsciously a bit of risk-averse to the reaction that players might get if they're not quite up to full speed of men's football yet. What, not wanting to labour that specific point that you touch on, but um, I sit in the Pearl Street and I was a few rows down from that exact incident that went on and um, I'm glad to say that they got an absolute roasting off a lady who was just sat to to their right um, yeah she she absolutely went in on them um, much to um, much to the kind of secret applause that, that were kind of looking around but yeah it's absolutely disgusting um, no matter who it is playing for your team you do not do things like that especially a young lad who he's going off injured. We're not talking like John Boardman or Michael Simpkins type journeymen who just I'd fancy my chances to get in the first 11 ahead of them, which is, is saying something. We're talking about young lads who are coming to us 
at short notice and, and trying to carve a career out. So, yeah, I agree. I think there was just as much roasting of the people doing what they were doing as, as there were people doing it. Unfortunately, it was the people who were making that noise in the first place that are the vocal minority in some cases. I'd hate to think that comes into Stockdale's thinking of young players coming in, but there must be a little bit somewhere where it does, I think. Thank you all very much for listening to episode 14, uh, part one. It's quite a long recording that we did the other day, so we're uh, splitting this into two episodes. Uh, Hopefully this one will be launched today. The part two will be launched on Christmas Day, just to to put online even. I just wanted to wish our our listeners a a Merry Christmas from everybody here. Jimmy, Matt, myself and all the guests. Just I hope you all have a good Christmas and and a good New Year. If you would like to come on the podcast, just let us know. We're happy for any fan, really. It doesn't doesn't need to be Dale or Everton. We've had Darlington fans, Newcastle fans, City United. We've had all sorts. If you do want to come on, just, just ping us a message on any of these social media platforms. Thank you for listening once again. And part two should be out online on Christmas Day. Thank you very much. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.